Oh, good morning. A very um, big thank you to the worship team for leading us today and for um, Matthew and Libby in particular taking the mic. So the youth are going to be um, quite involved uh, in the next 20 minutes or so. They're going to come and do some readings for us and also at the right moments they're going to come around um, to your tables and ask you to come up with three words, just three key words which are going to write on bits of paper uh, and bring to the front. So just to get you thinking in a kind of a collaborative mood before we start. And uh, with this is, we come to line five of our um, covenant that, statements that we've been working through. And just a reminder of the five we've had a look at. Lovely, thank you. So there we are. So those are the five that have been the statements that we've been working through. Um, a prophetic people, an inclusive people, a sacrificial people, a missionary people, a worshipping people. Who feels a bit intimidated? <laughs> That's, that's a lot, isn't it? Do you know that song that we sang, uh, the second, I was just struck, uh, the second song we sang, it said, be, before I ran out of the grave, it said, I, my failures I would try to cover up, try and cover up my failures. Um, and in the last song we've sung, where it says, though I'm weak and poor, all I have is yours. You know, and actually, we don't want to do that, do we? We don't want to carry over from our old life to our new life, a, a kind of a, 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 a facade about how we are doing all these things. Because if you're anything like me, these things are a struggle. But Paul goes further than that. He says, God deliberately chose the weak to shame the strong and deliberately chose the poor to shame the rich. And in those things that are not, he chose the nots to nullify the art. And so um, as we start and as we pray, let's, um, let's just give that thought to God. We pray, Lord, as we look at what it means to be um, a worshipping people. Lord, we pray, you know that now, that though we're weak and poor, all that we have is yours, Lord. And we pray that as we hear your word read to us from the Bible today, Lord Jesus, you would speak to us your truth by your spirit. That we would be the people you want us to be, entirely yours, we pray. Amen. Right, so then, so um, we are a worshipful people. And um, I don't know about you and how long or established your experience of church is, but for me in the 80s, there was a, a, uh, the late 80s, there was a certain time in the church where I was at where um, there was a very defined thought or kind of a defined theology at the time as to what it meant to be a worshipful people, what worship meant. And it was a, right, a slightly, looking back on it, a slightly simplistic view, I think. And it kind of said, you go to church and you have praise. Anybody sort of know this sort of thing? And then you move into worship. <laughs> it's a very kind of defined theology. So we've had our time of praise and now we're going to move into our time of worship. So I kind of grew up thinking, in my mind, hearing these phrases a lot, that worship was a, you know, a certain chunk of the service that followed after praise and before the sermon. And that was the worship moment. And it, was, it wasn't without its point. You know, it, it was encouraging us to study how believers in the Old and New Testament would choose to worship God and how they would choose to give their all and extravagance of heart that comes with that, regardless of the circumstances. So there was lots of good theology there. But for, but for me, looking back, it was, it was quite constraining. And what it missed was the bigger picture that we see in the covenant statement that we're looking at today. We are called to be God's worshipping people, seeking and celebrating the God who journeys with us and is open to his spirit in the whole of life. So as we start thinking about that this morning, um, Matthew's going to come up, he's going to do our first reading for us from John chapter 4, with Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman. Yet a time is coming and now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit, and in truth, for they are kind of worshippers, the Father seeks 
God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in the truth. Thank you, Matthew. So the observation has been made many times in this passage um, that God isn't that concerned with worship. He's not that concerned with worshippers, but he is all concerned with worshippers, with seeking worshippers. And this isn't some minor quibble over words. It completely changes the dimension from a transactional one, worship given and worship received, to a relationship dimension. And being a worshipper is fundamentally a love relationship. The God, the I am, the creator and the sustainer of the universe seeks that kind of relationship with us. That is an incredible mystery, isn't it? A a real mystery. And it was that mystery that Jesus was talking to the Samaritan woman. I think we briefly considered the Samaritan woman when we were looking at an inclusive people. The Samaritans were rejected by the Jews. And even within the Samaritan community, this lady was rejected by the Samaritans because she was considered an immoral woman. And and, and here she was talking to Jesus and saying, as the Jews, you say we have to go down to Jerusalem to worship. Um, and you rejected the Samaritans because they wanted to worship on this mountain. And Jesus is saying, uh, a time is coming, has now come, when true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in the truth, for they are the worshippers that the Father seeks. And that's a real privilege, I think, that relationship dimension. God is seeking worshippers. He's seeking us to have that relationship with him. And so here's the first little question then for which I thought I'd love, just love to hear what those words are that come back to so we can share them together. What are the hallmarks of a true worshipper? If God is seeking worshippers, what are the characteristics of being a true worshipper? And so um, whoever came first in the youth who I could pester quickly have got little uh, packs of three, three sheets of uh, paper with a pen. And they're just going to come around just for one minute or so, and they're just going to ask each table <laughs> to decide collaboratively what three words you would like to write down on your sheet haven't got very long for this, people, so you've got like two minutes to decide what three words you're going to write down on your sheet are the hallmarks of the true worshippers that God seeks. Off you go. Thank you, youth. Choose your tables. Fantastic. So if the young people could bring through... Uh, bring it, no, Matthew, don't get to run away. You have to come and read out your three words. And we're just going to um, we're gonna make a little cue of the, the young people here, and then... Um, that's fine, yeah. And then you can see that. Uh, and then we'll just listen to those words and sort of reflectively, reflectively hear what we've what we've come up together. So, who wants to come first? Come, you, you kick us off, Lucas. Uh, open-hearted, constant, uh, and love God. Thank you. Uh, sincerity. Commitment and receiving. Matthew. Sincere, faithful, uh, faithful heart, hunger, and open. Prayer, honesty, and faithfulness. Obedience, love, and humanity. And another one was true prayer and faithful thank you isn't that powerful to hear those words that we've put together and that kind of common themes i think that came back 
through there. There was something that came out quite a lot of time about being of genuineness, wasn't there? Of authenticity, um, of honesty in worship. And not only honesty in, in ourselves, but also honesty in, in worshipping the authentic God, I think. Not just the God who we want to create in our image, but the God who is. We come to the God who is. Um, a sense of relationship and a sense of heart truthfulness or, or, or actions that come out and are consistent with what we believe in our heart. So, I have to confess, I do a little bit of scurrying around to try and find um, some good points that I can incorporate into this summary. And this was a really good one that you might want to go back and listen to later on. There's like an eight-minute interview with John Piper. You can just Google it, John Piper, What is Worship Interview. It's like a little eight-minute podcast. Um, uh, and on that page, you can hear him, but you can also read the transcript. And he makes a couple of the really important key points that we're going to cover this morning. And here's the first one, he says... Watch out for these three key points, the green key points as we come through. True worship is a valuing or a treasuring of God above all things. True worship is a valuing or a treasuring of God above all things. He points out, um, Piper, that the English word worship comes from worth-ship. To treasure internally and to promote externally the worth of God or the worthiness of God. And he also points out, a really challenging thought, that um, Jesus in Matthew 15 says, this people honours me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. And Piper gives this a name. He says, this is zero worship. Zero worship. <laughs> That's a, a challenging, it sounds for a moment discouraging. It's not too discouraging, it's a challenging thought. Sing as many songs as you want, he says. Come to as many meetings as you want. Even help as many poor and in need as you want. He says, but it has to start with the heart. Worship is more than the heart, says Piper, but it cannot be less. And so as we start, the first of the three points, just to carry into our second section, is this one. True worship is a valuing or a treasuring of God above all things. And to help us carry that thought forward, we're going to sing a song uh, in the middle of the two sections. And the Psalms obviously encourage us a lot is full of encouragement to worship, to come and as a as a group of people, and also individually in our day daily lives to worship God, and to bring those songs of internal praise and external praise to Him. This is a few extracts from Psalm 96: Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before Him all the earth. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for He comes. He comes to judge the earth. And so we're going to stand and we're going to sing and just take this opportunity to lift that heart up to God and say that we recognize the internal nature of worship, where it starts right now, in the heart. Um, and we're going to sing, this, uh, this is my desire. We sang it last week, so I think most of us have heard it a little bit before. This is my desire to honor you, Lord, with all my heart. I worship you, all I have within me, I give you praise. All that I adore is in you. And the worshipping team are going to come up and join us again for this one. Thank you. Please stand if you're able. And now we're going to have our second reading from 1 Peter 2. And um, William and Reuben are going to come and read one part of that each. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, 
you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. But you are chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Thank you. So David Cassidy, who's an American pastor, uh, he said this, and we who are redeemed are called priests. It's not... It's an unusual word in the way for today, isn't it? We tend to use it in very specific contexts, in specific roles sometimes within the established church. But you saw the, the priesthood in the previous passage. We who are redeemed are called priests, people who draw near to God, see his glory, and declare his praises. Uh, and another book by um, someone called Calflin, and um, I've... I've I have to admit, I've not read the whole book. I've, I've kind of read as much as I can from the free bits on the internet. And it, <laughs> and it looks so good. I'm awaiting, for my, I'm awaiting for my real copy to come so that I can read, um, so that I can read uh, the rest of it. Um, but Calvin talks about um, the importance of receiving first. Um, he says true worshippers matter because God is seeking them. But he says true worshippers receive because until we receive first, we have no praises to give back. And that passage um, that William and Reuben just read to us, did you pick up on that phrase, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness? Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who finds a treasure buried in a field and covering it up, he sells everything he has and he goes and he buys the field to get the treasure. And often when we hear that passage, I don't know whether you've, how many times you've heard it before, and I, I always start off by thinking about what they're saying to us. And sometimes I think miss the whole point of the parable because we think, ah, so for us, we need to give up everything we have in order to seek the kingdom of God. But actually, I'm not even sure if that was the main point of the parable. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like this, uh, that a man who finds a treasure buried in a field, covers it up, goes and sells everything he has to buy the treasure. And God wants us to feel that that is how he is about us. We are his special possession. What a phrase, God's special possession. The treasure that he found in the field and sold everything he had to go and buy. And so as worshippers, we have to receive first. Because until we receive that knowledge of the deep, deep love of God and the cherishing that God gives us, then we have nothing to give back. True worshippers receive and from that receiving, they give back to God. Uh, and there's lots of other chapters that I'm looking forward to enjoying. But true worshippers exalt, they gather, they edify, they sing, they keep singing. They encounter God and they anticipate. And just a couple of images then to finish. Calflin suggests we take a look at this image from Revelation 4. With This is one person's painting of Christ surrounded with the four-winged creatures being described in Revelation and the, and the 24 elders casting their crowns down. And Calvin reminds us that in Eden we were born worshippers. We were born centred around God, centred around our relationship with Christ. And in Revelation, God's talking about the restoration to himself of the kingdom, the perfect kingdom. And Revelation is a prophetic, symbolic book 
I just wondered how many times we've been told that, a prophetic, symbolic book about the kingdom of God, how it is now, and how it's going to be ordered. I know I was, re- I was growing up reading this passage, and I used to have this little thought in my mind. This was a very heretical thought. I used to think, would I get bored, kind of like sitting around the throne forever and ever and ever, throwing down my crown and then picking it up again, and then throwing it down again and picking it up? And I remember asking somebody once this question, and they didn't say to me, look, you do know Revelation is a symbolic, prophetic book. It's telling you about how God's kingdom is going to be ordered. But Calflin says to us, and this is really interesting and really challenging, he says, are we ordering our lives like that? True worship, says Calflin, is when we see the symbolism and the prophecy in this image, Christ at the center of our lives, us putting him first, us surrounding him. And the challenge, he says, is true worshippers arrange their lives like that. And that was, I thought, a really challenging question to bring to us and to myself this morning. How are we arranging our lives like that? If we hear the symbolic message of Revelation, if we hear the prophecy of what God's kingdom is now and what God's kingdom is going to be, then how are we arranging our lives now? And one other image from um, a photographer just at the end of the First World War. This is Eric Enstrom. Uh, 1918, just the end of First World War, so much loss, so much destruction, so much emptiness. And he said that he was looking in this photo, um, adjusted photo, to express a sense of fullness. And you have this bearded man sitting with his hands clasped in prayer, with an entirely bare surroundings, and all he's got is a book and his glasses and some bread and a little bowl of gruel. And in one sense, the image suggests scarcity or lack but Ensham's point was quite the opposite he was saying here is a full life here is a life lived in gratitude a life lived in worship a life that everyone who sees this photo can experience regardless of our circumstances and Jesus announces this good news in John 10 he says the thief comes to steal to kill and destroy but I have come that they have life and that they may have life to the full And that acknowledgement of the fullness of God, which then springs into the heart of the worshipping community that we want to be. So we have one last little question for you today for your tables. And again, we're just going to challenge ourselves and bring those thoughts back to hear them. Again, just three words to write down. What holds us back from being God's worshippers? What things hold us back from being his special possession? in all its fullness. So a more challenging question, but again, one, let's, let's share honestly with each other and let's hear what we've got to say to each other. Again, the youth are going to come round in just one minute to come up with two or three words. Thank you. Fantastic. So I'll, I'll start off with um, Matthews and then I'll pass the microphone around again. The question, what holds us back from being God's worshippers? What holds us back from being his special possession in all its fullness? Possessions, fear of the unknown, wealth and distraction, yourself, fear, inconsistency, selfishness, and apathy, uh, sin, selfishness, and failure to receive. This is a little more than three words. Self-procrastination, doubt, disappointment, 
busyness, scared of commitment and fear. Guilt, fear and distraction. Thank you. We recognise that full range of um, blockages from the very simple and almost mundane, like busyness, procrastination. Who recognises that? I recognise that. Filling up your day, and then the day's gone again. To the very deep, from the guilt, from the inability to receive from God first, or hear his love or cherishing. All these things which cause us challenges. But it's been said we're all worshippers of something, And probably for most of us, we're worshippers of more than one thing in different areas of our lives, as different idols can battle for our supremacy. And maybe that rings a bell for you. C.S. Lewis said, all idols are destined to break the heart of those who worship them. So a few thoughts from Hebrews then to finish off. The writer of Hebrews encourages us to react to these challenges by... Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Let's throw off everything, the challenge. Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. The fruit of lips that profess his name and do not forget to do good and share with others. And Piper calls these the acts of worship that follow on from the heart of worship. The heart of worship must be there first, but Piper says the acts of worship you see in the lips that profess his name, the lips that tell others about Jesus, and the good that we do when we share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. And therefore, says Romans, Paul in Romans, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God, because this is your true and proper worship. So the three points as we finish then. Worshippers that God seek value relationship with the true God above all things. As priests, worshippers draw near to receive from him and declare his praises, and they offer their lips and their bodies as true acts of worship. The quality of our voices isn't the point, but our response to God's sustaining goodness is a lifestyle of praise. And John plays from the Our Daily Bread series. I know exactly what Simon was saying earlier about finding the time to read the Bible. I find the Our Daily Bread series really, really helpful in that regard because it just gives you a focus point to every day on the app that I use and a starting point for the verse and a little thought. And John Blaze, in one of those thoughts uh, that I came across a couple of weeks ago, says, how can we make singing of praises to God a regular part of our day? And he doesn't just mean singing. (laughs) He means the internal singing and the external singing, which are the acts that we do from the words that we say and the good that we do. How can we make that singing of praises to God a regular part of our day? Shall we pray? Lord God, we are honoured at the mystery that you seek worshippers and honoured by the mystery that we could ever be your treasured possession, a cherished and treasured people. And Father, we offer to you that list of challenges that we we find, Lord, to be the people you want us to be, to be the worshipping community you, you want us to be, Lord. We 
ask first that you would help us receive from your love and your goodness. And know that cherishing deep down, Lord, that we may be the priests that you want us to be, offering the praise to you and the lips that will speak your name and the hands that will do the good because with these sacrifices you're well pleased. We pray you would put that so deep into our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.